We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not uh, some kind of a, an influence or uh, some intangible ghost or a cloud or a mist that kind of fills the room. The Holy Spirit is a person like you're a person, like I'm a person. You're a person with a body. The Holy Spirit is not limited by a physical, corporeal, a material body. Nevertheless, he is a person. He's identified by personal pronouns. He has the attributes of personhood. That is, he has a mind. He has a will. He has emotion. He exhibits the actions of a person. He teaches. He guides. He speaks. All of these things that we've been learning. And then the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third member of what Christian theologians have always referred to as the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but... The word Godhead is in the Bible in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. The Godhead is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three parts. Don't ever say the Holy Spirit is a part of God. God doesn't have any parts. God is simple. He's, he's a simple being, and yet his uh, being is made up of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now watch, the, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, but the Father is God, and the Spirit is God, and the Son is God, and these three are one. Now that's orthodox Christianity. That's what all Christians at all times in all places have always believed, and there's a mystery about it. I admit that. I was in Starbucks not long ago, and I have a Muslim friend that we talk about our faith, and uh, he's very uh, open to Jesus. He loves Jesus, but he doesn't really understand who Jesus is completely, but pray for him. You know, Muslims all over the world are coming to Jesus and I'm praying my friend will come to Jesus. But we were talking one day, and he said, you Christians are pagans. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're, you're tritheists. You're polytheists. You believe that there are, there's more than one God. And I said, well, explain to me. He said, well, it, do you believe that the Father is God? And I said, well, of course, we're taught to pray, our Father who art in heaven. So the Father is God, God the Father. He said, do you believe Jesus is God? And I said, well, yes, the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So yes, Jesus is eternal God. And he said, do you believe the Spirit is God? And I said, well, of course, he does everything God does. He has omnipotence, and he's everywhere present, and he knows everything. So the Holy Spirit is called God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 6, verse 18, 1 Corinthians, it says your body is the temple of God. So yes, the Holy Spirit is God. He said, well, one plus one plus one equals three. You believe in three gods. And I said, yeah, dude, but one times one times one times one equals one. So it's not a mathematical kind of arithmetic. It's It's... It's an eternal, rela uh, eternal relationship of beings. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. And so the three are one. Amen. Do you see that?
So we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. And then on Saturday night, we traced out the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this goes all the way back into the book of Leviticus, where God illustrates the coming of the Holy Spirit 50 days after first fruits. First fruits for us is resurrection of Jesus. And then 50 days after that, there was the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. And of course, God is trying to picture in these Jewish feasts that 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would be poured out Joel prophesied this in Joel 2.28. It will come to pass in the last days. God says, I'll pour out my spirit. Jesus promised this. As a matter of fact, he said, you know about the Holy Spirit. He is with you, but he shall be in you. And then on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, what was pictured in the Jewish feast and prophesied by Joel and promised by Jesus becomes a reality that is indicative that we're living in the last days. The Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. Amen. Amen. Now today, I want to teach you a truth that if we can, if the Lord will help us get a hold of this, it will transform every person in this room, including me, Look at me. It will transform every relationship that you have with anybody in your world. Does anybody want to hear about this? Amen. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and let me talk to you about what the Bible calls the Spirit-filled life. The Spirit-filled life. Ephesians chapter 5, and look beginning at verse number 1. Paul says, I want you to imitate God. Wow. I want you to be like God. After all, he says, you are his dear children. I met uh, Pastor Jesse's daughter this morning, and of course, you're so blessed to have Jesse and Maria here on your staff. And I met their daughter for the first time, and she looks like her daddy. She looks like daddy. Thank God for that. Amen. She looks like her daddy. My girls look like me. My sons look like their mom. Our kids look like each other. Look at me. Listen. God wants you to look like your daddy. Amen. You see, it's, there's one thing to be a person who comes to church. But some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life go to church every Sunday. Full of the devil. Give the pastor hell. So it's not enough. God doesn't say, I want you to be a good church member. Because some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life go to church. I mean, just look at them. Got a face so long, it looks like they could stand straight-legged and lick buttermilk out of a gopher hoe and never move an inch. That's Texan, amen, if you're not familiar with that. I mean, that's a long face. Miserable. I call them sit soaking sour saints, SSS saints, miserable, but they're always in church. But God is not calling us to be people who are merely faithful at church because church can become just another organization. You understand that. And it can become for some people nothing more than a country club with a steeple on top. And what God is calling us to is not merely to be faithful in church. What God is calling us to is to be like him, to be like him. 
And then Paul begins to describe what that would look like. What is God like? Well, God is love. So look what he says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. And of course, Jesus exemplified this for us. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know what love is, really? Love is giving your life away for other people. That's what Jesus did. That's what God did. For God so loved the world that he gave. Why did you come, Jesus? Well, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life away as a ransom. And so loving is giving, and giving is loving. And so Jesus gave himself for us, and then Paul draws a contrast between love and lust. Love and lust are two different things. Some of you aren't in love, you're in lust with somebody. The Bible says in verse three, but fornication, that is sexual immorality, that is all sex outside of the covenant of marriage. All sex outside of the covenant of marriage, whether it's physical acts or whether it's being addicted to pornography or some other kind of sexual immorality, none of these things, look, uncleanness, uncleanness or covetousness, that is an an overwhelming desire to possess something that God has not given you, none of these things should even be named among you as it is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, nor uh, these things are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator or unclean person or covetous man who is really an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord, and so walk as children of light. Now look at this. What are we to be like? Well, we're to be like God. God's called everybody in here who knows him to be like God. Amen. And that means that we're to walk around. That's literally what that word means. It means to walk around. It's a word describing the characteristics of our life. We're to walk around, watch, loving people, not lusting people, not covetous toward other people, but loving them. In other words, giving our lives away to them and for them because this is what Jesus did. Everywhere Jesus went, he loved people. He took time for people. You remember when the parents wanted to bring their little kids to Jesus and have Jesus bless their children? You remember what the disciples, you remember what they said? They said, man, he doesn't have, he's a big shot preacher, man. He doesn't have time for your little snotty-nosed kids. And Jesus rebuked his own disciples and said, bring those kids to me. Jesus always had time for people, people that other people felt like were not worthy of his time. And so whether it was a prostitute who washed his feet with her own hair, or whether it was a woman who'd been married many times and had the worst reputation in town, or whether it was the most despised man who was the tax collector ripping everybody off, or whether it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees themselves, 
Jesus always had time to give his life away to other people, and that's exactly what he wants us to do. Amen? Come on. So we're to walk in love. Now, that has to do with our relationship to one another in the body of Christ primarily. You know what's so exciting about this church? When you walk through the doors, you can feel the love of God. Amen. And you have all kinds of people from all kinds of places. And what's the one thing that holds us all together? It's the love of Jesus. It's been shed abroad in our heart, and we just can't help it. We love each other. Amen? Doesn't mean you always have to like everybody or always agree with everybody. We have Democrats in here and Republicans, and we have people from all different kinds of places, but that's not the thing that unites us. The thing that unites us, the common denominator is not politics, it's not socioeconomics, or it's not ethnicity. The thing that unites us is Jesus, amen. His love in our hearts. So we're to walk around in love, and then secondly, he says, we're to walk around in light. Look at this. Look what he says in verse number eight. He says, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk around as children of light because the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now watch this. God is love, and then God is light, and of course light is characteristic of his holiness. Do you remember when God called Moses up into the top of Mount Sinai, and Moses hung out with God? When he came down from the mountain, his face was aglow with the presence of God, so much so that the people said, man, we can't even look at you. You you are literally glowing. Put a veil over your face. And did you know when we come out of the presence of God, there's a glow about us? Amen. Come on, somebody. When we walk into somewhere, we light up the room. It's not us. It's Jesus in us. It's the light of the presence of our daddy. We've spent so much time with him in his presence, loving him, listening to him, adoring him, that we began to take on his characteristics, and we would not dare even think about doing something that would dishonor our father. Amen. And so when people say, why don't you come hang out here? We say, you know, I, I, I can't do that. Why don't you come hang out with me? Because I tried that. I had a lady one time. I was witnessing down in New Orleans and just telling people about Jesus with a 1,000 college students. I'm there every year during February, the 1st of March, during Mardi Gras, and people are down there trying to get wasted and loaded, and we're down there just loving on people and telling them about Jesus. And I witnessed to one lady, and she looked at me, and she mean-mugged me. She said, why don't you go to hell. I said, I can't. I'm saved. Amen. I can't. I can't go home with you. Amen. I mean, I'm saved. You see, there is something about somebody who's really turned on to Jesus. It's not religion. It's not rules. It's not ceremonies. It's not formalities. It's Jesus in us. 
and we walk around in light. That has to do with our relationship with our Father. We spend so much time with him that we walk in light as he is in the light. Amen. And we don't want anything to do with darkness. Things crawl around. You ever turned on a light in a kitchen and seen things crawl around? That's why bars are all dark. So people can just crawl around like roaches in there. Nobody will be able to see them or look at anybody in the eyeball. But we walk in the light, amen? And then we walk in line. Look at verse number 15. Look at this. See then that you walk circumspectly. Some of your translations say walk very carefully. And literally, this word means, watch, to walk in line, to walk in line, to walk carefully, to walk knowing that people are watching us. Amen. Did you know that? Did you know if you go to work and you claim to be a Christian and you invite people to come to church, people begin to watch your life because they want to see if you're really real or if you're just another one of those church-going hypocrites that says you're one thing, you talk one thing, you talk a good game, but then you're just as uptight and miserable and mean and cantankerous as everybody else. The only thing about you that's different is you go to church an hour or whatever a week but what they want to see is somebody who's authentic, whose walk matches their talk. Amen? All right. Now, what these first 15 verses or so of this chapter describes is the life of Jesus. Jesus always walked in love. Jesus always walked in light. Matter of fact, here's what Jesus said one time. He said, I don't do anything unless my Father tells me to do it. He always walked in line because there were always enemies around who were watching his life, trying to find fault. And you remember one time Jesus turned to his enemies and said, which one of you can find any fault in me? And of course, they were all silent because he walked in light, he walked in love, he walked in line. Now look at me, listen to me. That is the life that God is calling every one of us to live. Amen. But there's a problem. And here's the problem. I cannot live this life in my own power. I just can't do it. Matter of fact, this is not hard, what we've just talked about. It's impossible. You cannot do it in your own power. You can try harder. After I got saved in jail as a 17-year-old drug addict, alcoholic, and criminal, I went to a church, and here was their motto, just try harder. Try harder. They said, well, keep all these rules. And they were very legalistic, and they wanted you to dress a certain way and carry a certain kind of Bible, and you couldn't go here, and you couldn't do this. And I mean, it was just flesh full of proud people who were trying to impress each other, but they really lacked the power to be like Jesus, and so they were really more like the Pharisees, and that's the way a lot of religious people are. They put on a show, but on the backside of their life, there's a whole different story, and that's not what God wants for us. God wants us to be like Jesus, amen. 
But the problem is we cannot do it. We do not have the resources to do, to live this kind of life. We can fool a lot of people, but God knows our real life, and we don't have the power or the resources to live this kind of life in our own energy. Listen, you can't anymore live the Christian life in your own power than you could become a Christian in your own power. How did you get saved? Did you say, well, I'm going to try harder to be a Christian? No. It was a miracle. God did something in you that you could not do on your own strength. He saved you. Amen. He caused you to come alive on the inside. If you've really been saved, you've participated in a miracle. Well, the Bible says, as you have received Jesus, so walk you in him. How did you receive Jesus? By faith. God did something in you that you were completely incapable of doing in your own strength. And that is how you live the Christian life. It's not you trying, it's you trusting. Amen. It's not something you do for God, it's something God does in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's why the very next verse says, look at this, it says, see that you walk circumspectly, verse 15, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And then look at verse 17. Therefore, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, find out what it's there for, amen. Therefore goes back to everything he's just said in the first 16 verses about how we're supposed to live our life, being like God, looking like our Father, being like Jesus, walking in love, walking in light, walking in line. Therefore, in light of everything I've said, do not be unwise. Unwise about what? Unwise to think that you could live this kind of life in your own power. But understand what the will of the Lord is concerning how to live the Christian life. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. Now, why in the world would Paul put that in there? Well, he's writing to people who live in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus was the headquarters of a great shrine, a great temple that was built in honor of the Greek god Bacchus. And Bacchus was the god of wine. And many of these people who are now Christians have come out of the worship of Bacchus. And part of the worship of Bacchus was to go into the temple and drink until you become intoxicated and then enter into sexual relations with a temple prostitute and the, in the middle of that ecstatic, orgiastic experience, you were said to have encountered the God and the power of the God Bacchus. And what Paul is saying is, don't go back to that. Don't think that that will give you any kind of power to live this kind of life. Instead, watch, be filled with who? The Holy Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the secret to the Christian life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what I want to talk to you about for just a minute. I'm not going to talk much longer. I'll tell you what Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband. I won't keep you long, but I want you to listen for the next few moments. All right, just listen for a few moments. The verse should literally say, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
constantly be being filled with the being filled, living the spirit filled life is not a one time experience. It's an ongoing experience. It's like breathing. It's a moment by moment, watch this, listen, complete and total dependence on the Spirit of God to fill your life. And there's a contrast drawn here between someone who is filled with or controlled by. Really, the word filled means controlled by, under the control of. There's a contrast drawn between someone who is under the control of alcohol. Now, I know none of you holy, wonderful glorious people in this 915 service, probably people in the 11 o'clock service understand this, but I know none of you have ever been under the influence of alcohol. I know that. I can tell you're such wonderful people, but maybe you've seen it on television. Have you ever noticed somebody who's under the influence of alcohol? They are a totally different person. The person who's usually very shy and very reserved, man, they're the life of the party. They're ready to fight anybody that walks in the room. Completely different person. Well, that's how it is when someone's under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The person who's normally stingy and selfish and just not fun to be around, they're just full of the love of Jesus. And they open their life up. You see, listen to me. The life of the spirit-filled Christian is a life that is supernaturally natural. You love people. Not because you have to try to love people, but because the love of Jesus is filling you, and you just really love people. You go out of your way to serve people, to care about people. You genuinely, from the heart, really begin to love people. You really love what is right, and you really, in your heart, you say, I don't want anything to do with anything that is not right, that's darkness. I want to live in the light. And then you find yourself just, it's not that you're trying, but you're just following Jesus. Jesus, and he always leads you in a straight path and never off this way or off that way. And then people begin to look at you and they say, man, you're really real. aren't? This is really real. I'm very attracted to that. Would you tell me what it is about you that gives you some kind of an inner strength to, to seemingly live above all of the junk of this life? And you just smile and you say, well, I'd love to. It's Jesus. Amen. It's not church. It's not religion. It's not following the rules. It's Jesus. I'm filled full of Jesus. Look, you're never fulfilled until you're filled full, amen, of the Spirit of God. And so the first step in being filled with the Holy Spirit, listen to me, is to, is to realize your problem. And your problem, listen to me, you know what's keeping you from being like Jesus? The same thing that keeps me from being like Jesus. The guy I shaved this morning. You know what's keeping you from being like Jesus? Not your wife. Some of you say, man, I could be so much more spiritual if I wasn't married to her. She's not your problem. You're your problem. I could have such more victory if I didn't work where I work because where I'm working, man, it just, that's not your, your problem is you. I could be so much more powerful as a believer if it wasn't for the circumstances of my life or maybe some mistakes that I'm, no, 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 no. The problem is you. 
It's not everybody else, not your mom or your dad. It's not your environment. It's not the color of your skin. The problem is you. My problem's me. And the first step to being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be honest enough to say, God, I'm the problem. I've tried to live for you. I've tried to serve you. But, Lord, I can't. I can't seem to have the strength to do it. Recognize your problem. Secondly, request God's provision. God has made a way. And that way is the person of the Spirit who lives in you. Listen, the Holy Spirit already lives in you. The moment you ask Jesus to come into your heart, that's exactly what happened. Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit came to live in your dead spirit and you were born again. You came alive on the inside. That's why we call Jesus the, inv or the Holy Spirit, the invisible Jesus. He came to live inside of you. But I want to tell you what most of us do. Most of us keep the Holy Spirit in one little closet or one room of the house of our life. And we put a do not disturb sign on all the other doors, all the other closets. And we say, Holy Spirit, now you can live inside of my spirit. Give, make me feel good. Give me security. And make me know that I'm going to heaven when I die and that you're always there. But Holy Spirit, I'm not going to let you fill this. You can't have anything to do with my relationship with the person I'm not married to but I'm sleeping with. Don't go there, Holy Spirit. You can't have anything to do with that anger that controls me and, and that pushes people away from me and alienates me in my own household. You can't deal with that. That's too painful. And so as a result, the Holy Spirit lives in us, but he doesn't fill us. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit's not you getting more of him. It's him getting all of you. Amen? It's you saying, Holy Spirit, there's not anywhere in my heart that you can't go. I want you to have complete control. I want to be under your influence so that you are filling me so that people can see the very life of Jesus flowing out of me. Amen? And Jesus made a promise. Here's what he said. If you being evil, relatively speaking, in relationship to how good God is, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids... He said, how much more will the Father give the fullness of the Holy Spirit to those who just what? Ask by faith. Look at me. By the way, it's not the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Some of you want some kind of goosebumps. Well, man, you can get that, you know, at a Willie Nelson concert in Texas if you go on the right night. Amen. But that's, that's a feeling. You can get a lot of feelings. But I'm not talking about the feeling of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might feel all kinds of things. But it's not the feeling of the Holy Spirit. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's by faith. Holy Spirit, I yield control of my life to you. I open every area of my life by faith. And then the Holy Spirit will begin to show you, how about here? How about here? Would you let me, would you trust me enough to take this? Would you let me come in here and clean this up? Your language. What is it? What it look at me, church. What is it about you right now that's not like Jesus? What is it? Is it the way you treat your wife? 
Did you know every relationship begins to be changed when we're full of the Holy Spirit? For example, being filled with the Holy Spirit changes the way that we worship God. Look at the next verse. Is everybody still with me? Amen? Look at verse number 19. When you're filled with the Spirit, verse 19 says, you begin to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You begin singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. See, a Spirit-filled person is a worshiping person. Amen? I can tell some of you aren't Spirit-filled because I look around, you're just standing there. Just, just looking around, not engaged. You say, well, I don't sing very well. Then don't sing very loud. But, I mean, just lift your hands and sing. Amen. Some of you have come from different kind of churches, and you're not comfortable lifting your hands. You know what the Bible says? Lift your hands. You say, well, I don't like to. Well, worship is not about what you like. It's about what he likes. And evidently, he likes us to lift our hands because when we lift our hands, we're saying, I surrender. I'm not closing myself off. I surrender. Sing to him. Man, remember when you fell in love with that girl? You just wanted to listen to every love song, sentimental, sappy song that you could find. And you said, that's our song. You would say that. You said, oh, that's our song. And you would get so excited. Well, you know what? He likes to be sung to. He gave his son to die for us. He loves us. And he wants us to sing love songs back to him. Amen. So when you're filled with a spirit, one of the main things about a spirit-filled church is it is a church that loves the presence of God and loves to sing songs of worship to the Lord. It changes the way you worship. Amen. You see that? Changes your attitude about life. Look at the next verse. It says, give thanks always. Let me read it to you the way we live it. Give thanks sometimes for some things. When everything's going your way, make sure and give thanks then. Is that what your Bible says? That's what it says. Throw it away and get another one. Amen? Because here's what it should say. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what circumstance comes into my life, I choose to give thanks to God because God's in control. Amen? He's on the throne. Nothing can touch me that has not been filtered through the sovereign hands of my loving Father. So I might not like it. I might not enjoy it, but I'm going to give thanks to God because you don't thank God because of your circumstances. You thank God because he's God and he always deserves to be praised and thanked. Amen. Besides all that, what's the alternative? I mean, you know, everybody in this room that say we ought to be humbly grateful. Most of us are grumbly hateful. Amen complaining and murmuring when God's given his son for us. He's come to live inside of us. He says we're more than conquerors. He says greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Amen. So whatever God's called you to walk through right now, you're going to get through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. I'm going to walk through it. Besides all that, it's just a shadow. A shadow of a car can't run me over. 
A shadow of a bullet can't kill me. A shadow of a dog can't bite me. And the shadow of the valley of the shadow of death cannot overcome me because I'm in Christ and he's in me and his victory is mine. Amen. Well, I'm blessing myself. Amen. I mean, we're on top and not on the bottom. See, that happens when you're full of the Holy Ghost. You're walking in victory. It messes with the minds of everybody who's around you that doesn't know Jesus. And they begin to realize, man, you're not just a person that goes to church. This is really real in you. You remind me of somebody. You look like, oh, it's your father. That's who it is. It changes our worship. It changes our attitude. It changes every relationship. And let me just go through this real quickly. It changes relationships to people in the church. Look at verse 21. Submit to one another in the fear of God. Woo! In other words, in this church, we just serve each other. Nobody's trying to be the big I and the little you. Nobody's trying to lord it or usurp any kind of authority or fight for a position or reputation or ambition. We're just all walking in humility, serving each. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I be a blessing in your life? Amen. That's very attractive to people who've been abused, particularly in churches, to find a church that's just full of people who don't care anything about anything except Jesus and loving people. Submit to one another in the fear of God. And then in your, look at this, in your home, it'll change your home. You know why some of you fuss and fight at home? You act like everything. People see you at church. How are you? Oh, we're wonderful. We're fine. You just had a knockdown drag out all the way to church. And your home ought to be a place of heaven on earth, but it's like hell on earth. What's the problem? You're not full of the Holy Spirit. Wives who are filled with the Holy Spirit submit themselves to their husbands. Look at this. There's only two verses to wives. For as the husband is the head of the wife, so is Christ the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to, to Christ, so let wives be subject to their husbands. And there's three verses. Mainly, all the verses are to the men. A spirit-filled wife will submit herself to the leadership of her husband and say, honey, I'm just praying for you, and we're in this together, and we're, let's, let's go forward together. Not always criticizing and... See, a man can take on everything in the world if he knows his wife really believes in him. Amen. But it's hard to fight the devil out in the world at work all day and then come home and fight the devil all night. And the whole issue is not that you're not going to church enough or having enough Bible study. You can do all that and still be mean. The issue is, are you full of the Holy Ghost? And if you are, then you're full of love. Amen. And then husbands, look at this, love your wives more than you love yourself. You know what the problem with most of us guys are? We're just full of ourselves. We're just selfish. We want to do what we want to do. But a spirit-filled husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water and present her to himself a glorious church. Look at verse 28. So ought husbands to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as the Lord does the church. 
Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then children who are spirit-filled begin to obey their parents because it's right. They love their parents. If you don't love and obey and submit to your parents, it's because you're just full of yourself and not full of the Holy Spirit. And you won't be able to love and respect and honor your parents in your own ability. And you won't be able to submit to your husband in your own flesh. And you won't be able to worship God. All of these things are only possible to someone who is filled full with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And then parents don't browbeat their their children and provoke them and and be harsh on them. Look at verse 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition. And then employees and employers. In this language of antiquity, it was slaves and masters, but we don't have that anymore, thank God. Now it's employees and employers. Look at me. The test of your Christianity is not how you run around here and shout and speak in tongues and jump up and down and lift your hands and praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you the test of your Christianity. How do you act at work? Are you the best employee your company has? Because a spirit-filled Christian will be the best employee. In, I'm preaching now. It's quiet in here. Amen. Maybe this is why we're not really changing our culture. Because we believe all this stuff and talk about it when we're in here. But this is not the game. This is the pep rally. We're great at pep rallies. But after the pep rally, you got to go play the game. And the game's for you at work tomorrow. And the game is when you go home this afternoon. And the game is in your relationships with other people. Are you filled? Are you as filled with the Spirit out there as you pretend to be in here? Or is it just all a bunch of religious, emotional hype? We're just coming in here like we're at an Amway conference and we're just hyping each other up and pepping each other up. And then we just go right out the door and live like the devil and the world's going to hell as a result. If I could get the average evangelical Christian as excited about Jesus as they are about Donald Trump, I think I could win the whole world to Jesus. Amen. This is the key. Not I, but Christ in me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live but it's not really me. It's Christ living his life in me and through me in the person of the Holy Spirit. 